Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and I love the fact that I'm going to start the show today by bringing on Dr. Alex McFarland. We were just chatting before the show started, and he was talking about how much he's been enjoying listening to the Carpenters lately. Alex, <laughs> what an interesting way to start the show. I'm going to bring this up because they did produce some amazing music. They really did. Well, Bill, it's always great to be with you, and thanks so much, Uh Bill Arnold and I, we have these these very, I think, very <laughs> robust conversations about God's Word and just walking with the Lord and our Christian faith, but we also talk a lot about pop culture and music and things like that. And um, and I always ask Bill, I'm like, you know, what are you listening to these days? And uh, so I've been on a Carpenter's vibe. <laughs> y- you know, I'm... I'm really into music, and folks, little side note, uh, producers very often are the unsung heroes of some of the most beloved music, and Richard Carpenter, um, you know, his sister Karen had that incredible voice, but all these hits like, you know, uh, We've Only Just Begun and Close to You and uh, these, you know, seven, eight, nine, nine layers of harmony that are just impeccably produced songs. He he was he was in the studio making this timeless music when he was like 22, 23 years mm. old. That's cr- that that really is an accomplishment, isn't it? It is an incredible accomplishment. Yeah, and the fact we still like his music and people still love listening to it is a real testimony to his talent and Karen's talent. Yeah, and yeah. um you know, I was um of course a lot of people know she tragically died at 32 um of anorexia, but the the word is that she had made this recommitment to Christ and shortly before she died they were raised i think they were methodist mm-hmm. but she uh found just an incredibly robust relationship with with Christ sadly you know died of a heart attack as a result of you know eating disorders but um was a believer and you know on their christmas albums and stuff they always you know did the great Christmas hymns in addition to pop music too. But anyway, that's completely aside. Bill Arnold and I both are very uh, music lovers, aren't we? Yeah, we are indeed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But today I thought it would be interesting to talk about why God sometimes seems distant. And I know people are not a fan of God seeming distant, even though we know he's not. Yeah, you know, um, it's funny, Bill. Uh, we get lots of emails and questions, and um, since you and I talked, we had a big youth event in Tennessee and had people come from about 10 states, and um, our Christian culture maybe is not as prominent in the lives of some as it was in our generation. I mean, I grew up, and, you know, we were not any super spiritual family, but yet we were always in church. My mother and dad recommitted their lives to Christ in their early 60s by watching Charles Stanley. And then I became a believer when I was in college at 21. But um, looking back, 
I mean, nowadays, people would have probably thought that we were like some super dedicated Christian family, but uh, kids today aren't raised in the culture that you and I were. That's why, you know, I love, I do my utmost to all our youth camps that we do and our youth conferences. We're trying to introduce young people to Christ, but I get a lot of email and a lot of correspondence, and so somebody emailed me this morning, Bill, and said, you know, why does God seem distant? Why does God seem far away? And so um, I thought you and I might talk about that a little bit, because in the noise of life, this busy, crazy, wild world, sometimes it's hard to hear that still, small voice, isn't it? It is indeed. So why do you, why do you think um, God seems distant to people? Uh, well, because sometimes I think the ones that have put distance uh, between us and God, uh, it, it is we ourselves. You know, I love in Acts 17, I believe it's verse 26, where Paul is at Mars Hill, and he says, um, you know, oh, Bill, I just thought of a Greek word. This is so awesome. Listen to this. Paul at Mars Hill, um, he, he says, you men of Athens, I see that you're most religious, and you've even got an altar to the unknown God. Well, this, this God that you don't know, it is he I declare to you, Paul says. It's very interesting he says, though he be not far from any one of us. Now, uh, I always try to talk to people. I'll say, do, do you feel like God is far away? And a lot of young, times young people will say, you know, well, yeah, God seems far. In Acts seventeen twenty seven, God is not far from us, but I'm going to give a, a, an amazing Greek word. Paul says this in Acts seventeen twenty seven. Uh, that we seek and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. Now, in the King James Version of Acts 17.26, there's, you know, we don't talk this way really anymore, but it says, though happily we should read, H-A-P-L-Y, but the word there is the word palpate. It's fascinating. You know, we've heard the word like palpitation, like our heart is beating, like we're eager for something, you know, where our heart is palpitating if we were to meet a, a beloved celebrity or if we're hungry and we're just famished for food. And Acts 17.27 says we seek God in the hope that we might grope for him or find him, though he be not far from any of us. Build the word there about hoping and groping, desiring God, is very similar to um, Jeremiah 29, 13, that you'll search and you'll seek, and you will find if you search with all your heart. It's, in the Greek, the word palpitation, palpate, our hmm. heart is beating. So I want to say, if there's anybody out there right now, and you're just, you desire God, you, you wish you could find God, your heart is palpitating, God, I, I need you in my life. The good news is that he's as close by as a prayer. And in, in so many verses we could give, John 6, 37, Romans 10, 13, uh, Jeremiah 29, 13 also, if you call out to God, I promise you on the authority of his word, and, and God cannot and will not lie, but if you call out to Christ today, he will receive you, and he'll come into your life. And uh, 
Uh, Bill, isn't it wonderful for the heart that palpates mm. in hunger for God? He says, look, I'm here. Just call out to me, and I'll, I'll respond. Mm-hmm. Dr. Alex McFarlane is my guest. Alex, do you think that when people say God seems distant, that most often they're dealing with very challenging circumstances in their life? I think so, because, you know, emotions, you know, we like to think that we're, you know, very cerebral or or something, but I think we're much more emotive than cognitive even. I'll give you an example, and and that's fine, because emotions and feelings are part of what it means to be a human being. Um, And there's this old principle, HALT, H-A-L-T, you know, don't, don't make any major life decision if you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. Sometimes... And I was I was with a friend whose um, his business is struggling today, and this particular friend he said I I'm afraid I might have made God mad or something. Mm. And I said, Why do you say that? And he list you know lost they lost a big account. There's a bunch of things that are a struggle when we're worried or stressed or disappointed or you know life has kicked the chair out from under us momentarily. Very often we question God. I'll I'll give you an example. John the Baptist. You read John chapter 1. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he preached. And then when he's in Herod's prison awaiting beheading, John the Baptist sent a messenger to Jesus. Are are you he that should come, or do we look for another? Mm -hmm. Isn't it? We very often have a a faith crisis when we're in a moment of duress. But just be patient. God is faithful. And I just, maybe somebody needs to hear this today. Uh, God loves you, and God is with you, and God has not abandoned you. Uh, And please don't let a momentary time of emotional struggle cause you to believe false things about God. Spurgeon, 100 years ago plus, one of the great preachers, Charles Spurgeon said, uh, don't doubt in the darkness what God has told you in the light. God is faithful, and he will not abandon us. I like that a lot. Hmm. I was uh, taught many, many, many years ago to develop habits and disciplines, thanking God daily for things that are not negotiable. His death on the cross, um, my salvation, my name written in the book of life, my Amen. sins have been forgiven. When you give God thanks for those every day, you develop a muscle of gratitude and you are being grateful for things that aren't ever subject to change. So when your circumstances change, you still have developed this muscle of gratitude for thanking God Amen. for things that will never change. Bill, that is so true. You know, um, there, there was a Roman uh, speaker um, named Solon, uh, and he said that, you know, gratitude is the mother of all other virtues. But I want to say, as a Christian, I really think gratitude and praise is one of the secrets to a resilient faith that doesn't just, you know, fall uh, to the the vicissitudes of emotion and things like that. Uh, and, and let me just say also that just as, as nutrition is to uh, our body, I really think the Word of God is the key to strength of soul. 
you know, reading the Word of God. Because here's the thing, Christianity is not the promise of a problem-free life. Mm-hmm. In fact, you know, Bill, some of the most godly people I, I've read about or known have gone through, you know, family struggles, unemployment, financial struggles, illnesses. Christianity is not the subtraction of all your problems, but is the addition of God's presence and God's help through all of life's troubles. Yeah. But, um, you know, part of what we have to do as um, um, my utmost for his highest, that great devotional by Oswald Chambers, he said, we must vigilantly believe what is true. And li- like you said, you know, to believe those non-negotiables, Jesus did die on the cross for me. Jesus is the friend who sticks closer than a brother. Uh, Hebrews 13 says he will never leave us or forsake us. I I really think the preparation for the valleys that we invariably will go through is to constantly be feeding on the Word Mm -hmm. so that we will know truth and we can stand on truth even um, in the hard times. Yeah. All right, Alex, let me take a little break. I need to take uh, 90 seconds and also look up the word vicissitudes. You always pop these words on me that I'm not sure what they mean. We'll be right back with Dr. Alex McFarlane in just a minute. Hi, this is Bill Arnold, and it's real easy to say thank you. So thank you. But after the spring fundraiser, I'm really inspired by your generous obedience to Christ. You are acting according to the love in your heart and your urgency to have the gospel go out and for men and women to be discipled, cared for, loved, and encouraged the best we can do here at Faith Radio. So I start with thank you and end with thank you. I'm back with Dr. Alex McFarland, and during the break, I looked up the word vicissitude. It is a change of circumstances or fortune, typically one that is unwelcome or unpleasant. Perfect word, Alex. Uh, Life has its vicissitudes, doesn't it? (laughs) It really does. And before we move on, um, listener Rosella said, I saw the Carpenters live at the State Fair. What a cute couple. Just kidding. Karen made it very clear that they were brother and sister. I think siblings make the best harmony. Wow. Yeah, there is a certain genetic harmony. That's why the Wilson brothers, Carl, Brian, Dennis of the Beach Boys, uh, and uh, it was my privilege um, to meet them many times, but that's pretty wild that uh, the listener, what was her name? Rosella. Carpenters. Mm Mm-hmm. Rosella, yep. you're blessed. Uh, <laughs> and you, you, you know what's really wild is, and I don't mean to get us off track, but yeah, I love the backstory. Uh, the The Carpenters were originally the Richard Carpenter trio, and oh. they they played jazz. A lot of people don't know that Karen Carpenter was like a world class drummer. Oh wow! And, and y'all Google this song called Tea Time, T E A, like iced tea, Tea Time. Uh, is a jazz instrumental they wrote that's just amazing. So um, Herb Alpert started A&M Records now, um, and it's it's so wild that um, A&M Records had signed Led Zeppelin, a rock band. Mm-hmm. And so Richard Carpenter, they had won some contest, and he had a little audience with uh, Herb Alpert, and, and Herb Alpert was considering signing the Richard Richard Carpenter Jazz oh, wow. Trio, and Richard said, "Well, 
uh, we've got these songs, you know, and Herb Alpert wasn't sure he wanted a jazz group on his label. And he said, well, my sister sings a little. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. Anyway, that was an understatement, wasn't it? Because, you know, she, of course, nowadays people routinely say she has one of the best female voices ever put on record. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah. Uh, cool that person got to see them live. Yeah. Awesome. All right, we've got uh, about eight minutes left. Back to spiritual things. Back to spiritual things. We didn't get too far off track, which I appreciate. But as we were talking about how God sometimes seems distant, and oftentimes when God does seem distant, it's because of vicissitudes. There's been a change that is considered unwelcome or pleasant. We, we you know, Jesus says in this world, you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Um so as we are navigating our way through life with God, journeying with us, that we sometimes are feeling that God is not as close as we want him to be, when in fact he has never left our side. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, I think really troubles are an opportunity. I mean, first of all, God is everywhere, and God is not arbitrary. I mean, if, if, if today somebody feels like, you know, well, this, this, and this has happened. This is a vicissitudinous day. Bad things have happened. Well, it doesn't mean that God's abandoned you, and it doesn't mean that God is picking on you. God is not sadistic, you know. So look for what is the opportunity. Well, maybe there is something in my life I need to turn from and repent of a sin and lean into Jesus. Or maybe it's maybe not some overt sin, but maybe I, maybe I, I did have my priorities out of order. You know, so I, I honestly think with problems, there really is opportunity. What is God trying to teach me, or what can I learn more about the faithfulness of God? And one, you know, one admonition, Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I've got to be honest with you, Bill. I mean, there's plenty of times that I've had to do a little inventory, and I realized that I, I, was, I was living for Alex. I wasn't living for the Lord Jesus. And there's been a few times that God had to gently and maybe not so gently get my attention, <laughs> you know? And uh, C.S. Lewis, he, he said this, you know, that, Problems are God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Mm. One of my heroes, I'll say this, and I'll throw it back to you, but D.L. Moody, um, who is unbelievably amazing life from the 19th century. I mean, just literally changed the world in one lifetime. But D.L. Moody um, had his share of problems, financial problems and managing international ministries in a horse and buggy era. And he said, um, when problems came, he said, it will do me good to have problems because it will drive me to my knees in prayer. Mm -hmm. So really, problems are an opportunity, actually. When you're in the middle of a problem, that's, those aren't very comforting words. But Alex, huh. when you look back at your life, the times you were crying the loudest and whining the most probably were the most instrumental times in your life where God was refining you and using that chisel to shape you into the man he wanted you to be. Yeah. I mean, you know, um, uh, no athlete that's preparing for 
the contest uh, feeds on cotton candy. You know, sweetness and sugar and dessert is not where the protein is. And it's the same way. Um, you know, thank the Lord for the, the sunny days and the good days, but it's really in what we at the moment think are the hard times, I think, that we grow the most. But I want to read a scripture, if I may, Isaiah 43, 1 and 2. The Lord, here's what God says. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I've summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. And I think one of the things that is such a comfort from the Word of God, Bill, is all of the hundreds of verses, countless times, where God promises his provision, his protection, his guidance, his care. And one of the beautiful things, and really only Christianity can promise this, is that pain and suffering is redemptive and instructive and we grow. And so we learn. I, I honestly think in the hard times, we learn things about the faithfulness of God that, you know, otherwise we may never have known. Mm, entirely, entirely right on, Alex. And those moments of despair, those moments where you feel God is distant, those times when you are, your heart is palpitating because you don't know what the outcome is going to be. Um, you usually realize when you look back, those were the most important and critical times in life. You don't want to have had gone through that again. You didn't want to go through it at the time. You wouldn't want to do it again, but you walk away with something um, valuable. Yeah, amen. Mm. You know, um, Hebrew, let me encourage people. If you're, you know, kind of going through, uh, if if you're in the, uh, the the workout room and you feel like you're just being put through it. Let me encourage you re to read Hebrews 12 in the New Testament. Uh, by the way, um, do you remember the name? I'm sure you remember the name Warren Wearsby. Oh, sure. Um, you know, before Erwin Lutzer, who also is a giant, uh, a hero, but Lutzer was at Moody Church, and before him was Warren Wearsby. And Warren Wearsby, speaking of the book of Hebrews, his commentary on Hebrews is just magnificent. He said, you know, the writings of Paul are like at a college level. The writings of Luke are like at a master's level. But whoever God used to write Hebrews hmm. was at a Ph.D. level. Mm -hmm. But Hebrews 12 talks about, you know, our fathers on earth corrected us and we respected them. And how much more, you know, our Heavenly Father, who chastens us for our prophet, Hebrews 12.10, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now, speaking of troubles and the opportunity for growth, Hebrews 12.11 says, No chastening for the present moment seems joyous, mm -hmm. but grievous. Yeah. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields a peaceable fruit of righteousness. Mm -hmm. So... We trust God in the valleys. Amen. We keep our eyes on Jesus, and Amen. we grow. Amen. If God feels distant, he's not. Dr. Alex McFarland has been my guest. Alex, have a great rest of the day. You too, my friend. All right. Thank you so much. You can always learn more about him at alexmcfarland.com. We'll take a short break and be back with Scott Hubbard from Desiring God.
It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. What's for dinner? It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Welcome to the show. I'm so glad you tuned in today. I'm hoping that God has your attention and you are going to uh, understand more about your faith. You're going to grow in your understanding of the Word, and you're going to love God more. I want you to know Him better. And some of the best ways to do that is to just get your nose in the Word, and we're going to do that today with Scott Hubbard. He is joining the program in just a few minutes. Uh, he's written an article at DesiringGod.org called Faith in the Wilderness of Waiting. And if you've been a person that's been waiting, you know exactly what that's like. You're waiting on the Lord. You're waiting for the answer to a prayer. You're waiting for something in life to change. You are waiting for uh, something that you have yearned for and longed for for a long time. You, you, you prayed that it would become a reality, and it has not. And you're still holding on to the promises of God and waiting and waiting, and it's not easy and so we're going to discuss that today. You can always learn uh, more about Scott and his work and his writing at DesiringGod.org. And you can just, uh, once you get to the website, just do a search of his name. And all his writings and articles will come up. But the one we're going to talk about today is Faith in the Wilderness of waiting. And I have to admit, Scott, I was waiting for you to show up today. <laughs> and I was quite nervous. Yeah, it's actually an object lesson. Just wanted to <laughs> throw that You in did there. that on purpose? I did. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I just thought it would be a little taste of waiting. Touche, nice work. Yeah. Because well. Ryan and I were going, okay, what are we going to do? We're Scott, we're Scott. <laughs> he always he always, always calls it close, but this is too close for me. So, nice object lesson. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah, thanks. All right, now for the next 22 minutes, talk. <laughs> <laughs> I have to get back yeah, at you somehow. Right. Yeah, that's right. Okay, yeah, here we go. Yeah. All right. So, let, let's talk about Abraham, first of all. Uh, talk about uh, waiting. Yeah. Waiting for the promises. Yeah, I think that probably a lot of Christians familiar with the story of Abraham are familiar that he had to wait a long time. Yeah. 25 years Mm -hmm. he waited between the moment God promised that he would be a father, he would have a son of his own, to the day that he actually held Isaac in his arms. Right. And as I just stepped back and, and thought about that, it's pretty remarkable, not, not, not only that Abraham waited that long, that's remarkable, but it's also remarkable to think that this was clearly on purpose because God could have brought Isaac sooner. It was a miracle, so there was nothing holding God back. It's right. not like other circumstances came in the way. He could have brought Isaac sooner. He could have brought Isaac after five years, after 10 years, or... Five minutes. Yeah, five minutes, that's Maybe. for sure. He also could have given the promise to Abraham later. There was no uh, necessity mm-hmm. for there to be a 25-year gap I agree. between the, the moment God spoke the promise and, and its fulfillment. And so clearly, God has work to do on us in what I call here the wilderness of waiting. And not to mention we watched Abraham and Sarah get older in those 25 years. Yeah, yeah, I mean, we're reducing talking, the we're talking old. <laughs> we're talking old to start with, and then at 25 years. Yeah, that's right. I don't 70s, like, 80s, 90s. I don't and, like them odds. Plus. No, I don't either. I, I love the, I don't think Paul was trying to be funny, but he's just very realistic in Romans 4. He, he says, you know what? Abraham was as good as dead. 
his body was. Yeah. I, I think he just means it was impossible for this yeah. man to have a son unless God was going to intervene and do the impossible. Mm-hmm. Scott Hubbard is my guest. You can learn about Scott at DesiringGod.org. Now, I don't want to get too far off track, Scott, but when you think of couples who are waiting for a baby because they're having yeah. fertility issues, and it's yeah. the deepest desire of their heart, and it's not happening, right. and they keep waiting and trusting that God will provide the deepest longing of their heart, yeah. um, you must experience that among your peers. Absolutely. Yeah. I do. And... I think that is just a poignant example that gets at the at why waiting is so is so hard and, and not only so hard but so confusing at times because children are clearly that something that God loves and something that God loves to give. He does it all throughout the scriptures. And so when we're when we're waiting, say a couple is waiting with infertility, it can they can feel like this is something we desperately want. This is clearly something God loves to give. So what's what's the problem? Mm-hmm. We're praying for this. We're trusting in Him. We're pressing into Him, and yet He's not He's not giving this good gift. Mm-hmm. And so it can it can feel bewildering. What about a, a biopsy? And they say, well, it's it's Thursday, so we got to send it to the lab, which means it'll probably be nine days before you hear from us. Mm-hmm. You go nine days. Yeah, I got to wait nine days to yeah. find out what this biopsy is. Yeah. I mean, even even waiting at those times is excruciating. It is. It is excruciating. Yeah, it can it can feel like uh, well, a, a lot of different ways of describing it. Wilderness is one way to describe it. It, it can feel like an in between time where you know life is, for all intents and purposes, put on pause. You're living in something of a parenthesis yeah. between well said the past and the future, and. Um, Life will begin again after this wait. Mm-hmm. In your article at DesiringGod.org, Scott Hubbard, you say, we sit maybe in some spiritual or relational pit waiting for God to draw us out. Yeah, there are all, <laughs> kinds, of, there are all kinds of waiting in Scripture. Yeah. Um, some of them are totally not the fault of the person waiting, like, like Abraham. That's, he didn't do anything wrong for them not to be able to have a son. It was just part of God's plan, part of his sometimes mysterious plan. And yet there are other times where waiting uh, involves something more complex. We, we had a part in this. So, you know, David in Psalm 40, he, he clearly is um, an agent and part of the reason he's waiting is because, of, is because of his own sin. And we see that also in Lamentations as the people of Israel are waiting in the aftermath of the, of the exile and in mm-hmm. that devastation. Clearly their own sin is involved and so there's different kinds of waiting, and in all of them, God gives his people a lot of hope. Mm-hmm. And also you talk about Isaiah and the walk before the hidden face of God waiting to see him again, Isaiah eight seventeen. Yeah, another bewildering kind of waiting where it can feel like you had a close walk with God, like heaven was a window, mm-hmm. and... And now it feels like a wall mm. and he feels far off. And so Isaiah uses that language of God hiding his face. Mm-hmm. And yet Asaph in Psalm 77 can be quite direct. Yeah. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? 
Yeah. Well, that's the direct approach. It is direct. The mm-hmm. Psalms, Psalm 77 and, and many others give the kind of language, <clears throat> excuse me, they give the kind of language that is appropriate, uh, sometimes surprising, and yet appropriate to feel and even to direct toward God in a humble, submissive posture, and yet there's boldness there. He's, mm-hmm. he's really wrestling, and waiting can bring us to that point. Mm-hmm. You talk in your article, Scott, that God knows how to make rivers run through the wilderness of waiting, daily refreshing our driest hopes. Those are very encouraging words. Yeah, and even more encouraging that they are true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know you are very careful and thoughtful with each word you put down on paper. Uh, you handle the Word of God beautifully, mm. and you have a deep desire to not only be completely uh, honest and full of integrity with God's Word, you don't say anything that is fluffy. Mm. Well, may it be. Yeah. Yes, God knows how to make rivers run through the wilderness of waiting. You see that in the story of Abraham. You see it in, in the story of saint after saint who are in this, the most painful situations. Mm-hmm. And we read also that Abraham grew strong in his faith as the child childless years unfolded. Yeah, Romans 4. That's one yeah. of the clearest spots that, oh, wow, there were things going on in the waiting that are, you know, the kind of Philippians 4, peace that surpasses understanding, that kind of thing. There's, there's no good earthly reason for Abraham to grow strong in his faith as he, as he gave glory to God. That didn't happen when Isaac came. Mm-hmm. That happened before Isaac came. Mm-hmm. He gave. He was giving glory to God. He was growing strong in his faith. He was not doubting the promise of the Lord. All of that while he was in the midst of the wave. <laughs> mm-hmm. Who knows what? You're 17, you're 20. Where is he at this point? Right. But uh, that that's testimony that of what is possible mm-hmm. for, for us in the wait. In the last half hour, <clears throat> Scott, I talked to doc, Dr. Alex McFarlane. We were talking about when God seems distant. Um. And again, when we look at this situation, when we're in uh, pain or we're waiting, um, when God seems uh, near or far away, uh, we find ourselves, like you say in your article, that David says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? And waiting is hard. Yeah, Yeah. it really is. Um, It's hard not to look at all the other people around you who who have what you want and just uh, <laughs> that can be one of the hardest things while you're waiting. Mm-hmm. So for David in that spot or someone who feels like the Lord is distant to be able to sit in the pew on Sunday and see other people clearly just in the exuberance of worship yeah. and a sense of the nearness of God, it can feel painful or to watch another couple have their own child, their own, maybe their fourth child right. and you haven't been able to have one. Yeah. And I love this line from your article, the heavens were once a window, now they seem more like a wall. Yeah. Yeah, it's just realistic if we're reading the Bible carefully, that that kind of experience is not only possible, but um, frequent. I, I'm not going to venture to say that's something maybe most of us will experience, but that a lot of Christians experience that kind of variability, you know, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. We are not. Mm-hmm. We are fickle. And one day it can feel like we're walking under the sunshine of God's favor, and the next day more more like a Minnesota November. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Days or weeks of overcast where what the sun we once enjoyed, the presence of God we once enjoyed is just nowhere to be found, mm-hmm. it seems. 
So encouraging words from Scott Hubbard when we look at what Micah 7, 7 says, when you are lifting your eyes in prayer in maybe a difficult time, maybe that's where you are right now. Micah 7, 7 says, as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Yes. So as I, yeah, that's right. As I surveyed in the Old Testament, especially just the stories of waiting and the testimonies of waiting, there's this fourfold posture that the waiting people of God often have in scripture. It's to look up to God, to look back to his faithfulness, to look forward to his promise, and then to look down to his path. And so what you just described from Micah is him looking up to God. Okay, now I know you need to say that again because people love that and they, they need to hear it again. Sure. So in the waiting, God's people often look up to God, mm-hmm. look back to his faithfulness, yes. look forward to his promise, mm-hmm. and look down to his path. And so look up to God. In the waiting, no matter how painful, no matter how dark, God's people regularly, consistently still look up to him in prayer. They don't stop speaking to him. They don't stop pouring out their hearts to him. And even when they cannot see God's face, as it were, they still show him theirs. They look up to God, as Micah says, Mm -hmm. and they wait for the God of their salvation. When we come back, I want to talk more about looking back to his faithfulness. I think there's uh, some beautiful passages in Scripture that Scott will comment on. um, My guest is Scott Hubbard. You can learn more about him at DesiringGod.org. We'll be right back. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. <laughs> oh, that's what a great. It feels like you're on the Tonight Show, doesn't it? <laughs> and now, direct from. Yeah, it does. Scott Hubbard. Yep, just over in the corner, that's where the drums are coming from. That's right, that's right. Yeah. Scott Hubbard is my guest. He's an editor for Desiring God, a pastor at All People's Church, and a graduate of Bethlehem College and Seminary. We're talking today about an article he wrote at DesiringGod.org called Faith in the Wilderness of Waiting. Faith in the Wilderness of Waiting. You can go find that article right now if you like. But Scott, let's talk a little bit about looking back at God's faithfulness, because sometimes when you're waiting... It's always good to look back and see what God has done and remember the deeds of the Lord, like Asaph says in Psalm seventy-seven, eleven. Yeah, that's the the turn in Psalm 77 from him asking those really honest and raw questions to coming to a place of his spirit composed and at peace before the Lord is, mm. I will remember. Mm. And probably the psalm that illustrates this most um, powerfully is actually Psalm 89. And Psalm 89 is just this this curious psalm because the whole last part of it is just an outpouring of grief mm. at the present state of Israel and the psalmist's own life. But the first 37 verses have a totally different tone to them. All he's doing is looking to the past. He's, he's walking through the Exodus. He's declaring what God did and bringing his people to the promised land and in making a covenant with David. He is, he is singing of the steadfast love of the Lord, as he says in verse 1. All the while, 
there's this, this pain churning in his heart. He's in this place of waiting and longing for the Lord to act. And so before, before he laments in the last part of the psalm, he patiently remembers what God has already done, which can feel so hard to do in the moment when the waiting is, is just so painful. It's, it can feel so hard to not allow the present pain to, to set the agenda for how we think, for how we talk to the Lord, for uh, the boundaries of our future hopes. But this man, Ethan, the psalmist of Psalm 89, he gives us this, uh, this paradigm, this model for how God's waiting people can find strength in the wait. Pause, look back, and walk through what God has done. Mm-hmm. So if you can look at God's faithfulness, you can look forward to the future with hope. Yeah. I think this is where confidence in God's future promises comes from, in part, is being able to look back and see how faithful he has mm-hmm. been, faithful to his people all throughout the scriptures, and then faithful in our own personal lives too. So then looking up to God, looking back to his faithfulness, that gives a new kind of posture, a new perspective, a new strength to be able to look forward to his promise now with hope, even if it feels beyond earthly possibilities. Mm -hmm. Let's look at a couple of passages from Psalm 130 in verse 5. It says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. Yeah, it's a just brilliant encapsulation of that forward-looking hope. He describes himself in the psalm like a watchman on the walls, (laughs) just waiting for the first sign of the sun coming up over the horizon. That's a picture, a picture of how God would have his people wait. Hmm. In his word, I hope I am looking more, more, more than watchman for the morning. I am waiting for the Lord. Not only in longing for the day to come, but in confidence that just as the sun will rise again after this dark night, literally, so God's promise will come. Mm-hmm. Now, Abraham had a promise, so he could hang on to that. But what happens, Scott, when people are asking God to fulfill a promise that maybe he didn't make. Yeah. I mean, we often have ideas that God would grant me this because it's the desires of my heart. Yeah. You're trying to hold him to a promise that he never, never made. Yeah, that's right. I think it's crucial that we do two things at once, which may seem counterintuitive or intention. One is that we make our requests known to the Lord, as Paul tells us to do in Philippians Mm -hmm. 4, which includes things that he hasn't given promises for, but things that we would love to have, things that we think would be honoring to him and good for us. So we, we feel the freedom to do that on the one hand, and yet on the other hand, to not, um, lay our confidence on those kinds of requests like we lay our confidence on the things that God has explicitly promised. Mm-hmm. So bo- holding both of those at the same time yep. is a challenge. We can, we can bank on the fact that God will help us, that God will provide everything that we need, that God will comfort us in our sorrow, that he will be our strength and our weakness. All of those for the child of God are guarantees. They're not questions of whether God will be faithful to those things he's promised them. We're not promised a lot of other things in this life. And so the difficulty of waiting 
is to be able to, you know, bring this, bring this good desire before the Lord regularly and then to fall back every time on what he has promised to do and know that even if we don't get this particular gift that we want, he is going to be faithful to give us everything that he has mm-hmm. spoken, which, you know, one of the things we can infer from the scripture is that in the end will be even better for us than mm-hmm. what we thought we wanted. Scott, how would you process the request that Jesus made in the Garden of Gethsemane? I mean, he led a perfect, sinless life, makes a request, and then God says, no. Yeah. I got a different plan. Yeah. It's a... Request denied. It's a uh, profound and, in some ways, mysterious moment. Mm Mm-hmm. The the God-man comes and voices uh, a request that um, he, on one level, I think, knows it can't be can't be fulfilled and the father's plans still mm-hmm. be st- still move forward and yet it shows this remarkable i think it ought to give us this remarkable freedom that we ask things of the lord he came and he asked his father if it if it's possible that this cup should be removed and i do think that captures the kind of posture that i was trying to describe a moment ago of letting a request be made known to god mm-hmm. and then banking holy on what he has explicitly promised. And that kind of posture is the one that says, yet not my will, but yours be done. Mm -hmm. Scott Hubbard says in his article, A Desiring God, do the promises of God find such a welcome home in your waiting heart? Whatever your need, God has spoken. He may not have promised a particular gift you long for, a son like Abraham's perhaps, but he has not left you promise less, which is... Comfort for the comfortless in Isaiah chapter 40. Yes, that's right. And in Romans 4, Paul links, he associates the strength of soul that Abraham had in his way in his giving glory to God with the fact that he was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. So in the waiting, God, one of the, one of the main streams that runs through this wilderness of waiting is the promises of God. And he means for us not only to have them in some vague place of our minds, but to have, to treasure up every letter of some precious promise that he has given to us Mm -hmm. and to suck it dry of all the nourishment that God means for us to have from Mm -hmm. it. So Scott, you've had us look um, up, look back, look forward. Now let's spend the last few minutes looking down to his path. I love the passage in Psalm 25 that says, make me to know your ways, O Lord, teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you, I wait all the day long. Yeah. So after looking up to God, looking back to his faithfulness, looking forward to his promise, we still have today to live. (laughs) Yeah. And we're still waiting. And it could be that perhaps for some of us, the wait is almost over. We're on the cusp of the end. Perhaps for others of us, we're, we're, we're somewhere in the middle. You know, we're in, we're in year seven of 25, to use Abraham's weight as an example. And so the question then becomes, what do you do today? And it can feel like a great temptation while we are waiting to feel like real life is somewhere off in the future mm. at the end Ouch. of this wait. And that right now is sort of a holding pattern and just a day to endure rather than one to really live. And the prayer of David, he's clearly waiting. And yet he has such a present prayer for God's guidance. Today, God, would you lead me in your truth and Mm -hmm. teach me? 
trusting that he had a path for David to walk today in the midst of his weight that was good and not just a good path after his weight. Mm -hmm. Do you remember what you just said about people feeling that they may not be living, they're thinking that life is something in the future? Do you remember that, that expression? Do you remember what you said? I think I just said that it can it can feel like a great temptation to see to see life as something that is at happen that will happen at the end of the wait. Yeah, yeah, I like that. People put their life on hold. Yeah, and they sit and go. Well, when this situation gets to where I want it to be, then I'll start to enjoy life. Yeah, not until though. Right, right, That's and start dream. to really you know give my all for the Lord and and have my eyes open to the good works that he has for me today. It can feel like you're just in survival mode with low expectations for what God may do. I bet there's a lot of people listening today that feel like they're in survival mode. Yeah, yeah. It's easy to feel that way. And in some sense, it's true because waiting is that painful. And yet God can gently lift our eyes, (laughs) or in this case, uh, lower our eyes to yeah. the path that's right in front of our feet, the good path that he's given us today, even if it's not the thing that mm-hmm. at bottom we're aching for. So look up, look backwards, yep. forward, and look down. That's right. That's the way. Yeah. yeah. Ah, that's really excellent. So, Scott, thank you for um, the anxiety you created in me by showing up. <laughs> exactly the time the show started, you taught yep. me a lot about waiting <laughs> today. <laughs> well, now, now you know how, Bill. Yeah. Scott Hubbard's been my guest. You can learn more about Scott at DesiringGod.org if you want to go check out this article. It is called Faith in the Wilderness of Waiting. We'll be right back with Dr. Eric Tonis, and we're going to talk about, in the Red Word series, Matthew 16. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.